Amen. The second chapter of John's Gospel, the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In keeping with the theme that Pastor Jim has set for us, God or no God. If there is a God, is he a God that is worthy of us giving all of ourselves to him? Is he only a God that's worthy of us compartmentalizing? In other words, we give him a part of who we are. He's a part of our life, and he's a very important part of our life, but we also have these other areas of our life that need our attention and you know, our family and our careers and our finances and our relationships and, and all of those other things. And so God's certainly a part. If there's a God, is he a God that is worthy of giving all of who we are and all of what we have to him, surrendering ourselves and coming under his lordship, surrendering ourselves and making our very lives a worship to this God. Jesus is God. Jesus is life. I pray that we'll see that in the scriptures this morning, and I pray that it's not just accumulating knowledge, but that it is life-changing for us. Uh, in the context of the passage of Scripture that we look at this morning, I asked Vic if he would to put on the screen a rendition of Herod's temple. This is a very close rendition of exactly um, where Jesus was when we see his experience and his interactions in the passage of Scripture this morning. I show you this only because I want us to be able to kind of put ourselves there, to kind of witness, stand in and watch as Jesus has this experience and these interactions. This is Herod's temple. It looked very, very similar to this in the first century. I point out a couple of things to you, if I could. This whole area is immense. As a matter of fact, you could fit over 20 football fields in this area. That is to say, this area right here. I know all of you can't see um, one of these screens. This area here and here is called the Court of the Gentiles. Everyone was welcome in this area. Now, most all of the people who came uh, to this temple were Jewish people, but you didn't have to be a Jew to come into this temple and to go into this Court of Gentiles. Inside the court of Gentiles, there's a beautiful gate right here, and inside that gate is what is known as the court of women. And if you were a Jewish woman, you could go into that court. Inside, there's a second gate here, a second gate here, that goes into the court of what they call Israel. Jewish men 
were able to go into this court. This is the altar right there. The altar right there where sacrifices were made to God. And then in this building area, which is actually the, the temple part, um, is where the court of priests were. And inside the court of priests was the holy place. And then separating the holy place from the holy of holies was um, a large veil. So inside here is the court of priests, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. What took place in John chapter 2 and these verses that we'll look at beginning in verse 12 took place around what is known as these porticos right here. Under these porticos, which is almost like a lanai, except it's, again, it's immense in its size, these porticos here. Under these porticos, merchants would set up um, where they could buy, where they could sell, and they could have commerce and, and business with the people who came. Now, the setting of the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning is during the time of the Passover. The Passover was a celebration, it was an observance that God commanded his people to have once a year. The population of the city of Jerusalem, which uh, is where the temple was located, uh, was probably about 200,000 people. But during this time of Passover, it would swell to almost 2 million people. If you were a Jewish man and you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, the law commanded that you come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Though most of the people who lived in the, in the, in, in the region that we know today as Israel, whether they were up in the Galilean area uh, or down in the Judean area, they would all come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. In the Passover, they would bring... An animal, a lamb, a dove. They would uh, bring one that was as near to perfect as they could find, one of their own. And that animal would be sacrificed to God because God required the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so the people would come and they would gather uh, to observe and to celebrate the Passover. Many times when they would come and they would bring their own animal, that animal would have to be inspected by the religious leaders or the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Oftentimes, during that inspection, they would find some kind of flaw with the animal that was brought and they would require that the person, the family who brought that animal would have to disregard the one with the flaw and go and purchase an animal that has been pre-inspected so that they could have an animal to offer as a sacrifice. Now, the religious rulers, the leaders of the day, would take advantage of this opportunity by overcharging for this animal. In addition to that, they had to get, bring an offering. 
But they couldn't use the money that they had, which was Roman money. They had to exchange the Roman money for, for lack of a better word, Jewish money, shekels. And oftentimes, the exchange rate would be enormous. This is the, um, if you could imagine in this temple area, Hundreds of thousands of people milling around, bringing their animals for sacrifice. Imagine, if you would, around these portico areas, the, the merchants and the money changers, and the, the commerce that's taking place, and the buying of animals, and the exchanging of money, and kind of put yourself there as we read this passage of Scripture together. John chapter 1. I'm sorry. John chapter 2. And beginning in the 12th verse. John chapter 2, beginning in the 12th verse. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with His mother and brothers and His disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, Jesus um, had just been at a wedding in Canaan. And he traveled north to Capernaum. The Bible says went down, and that's simply an elevation thing. He was with his family. He was with the disciples. He rested in Capernaum for a few days, and then they made the trip up to Jerusalem, though it was a trip that was south of Capernaum. But they always said up to Jerusalem because it was a holy place. So they stayed and then they traveled to Jerusalem. In verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. You're getting an idea here that Jesus was not pleased with what he saw when he reached those temple courts. He told those who sold pigeons, Take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This was a prophecy that the one who God would send would be consumed with the Father's house. It's found in Psalm, the 69th chapter. After Jesus had done this, this purging, this cleansing, this cleaning out of the temple, the Jewish leaders came to him and here's what they said, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Which is a very interesting thing to me. They didn't say, what are you doing, or why are you doing this? Their question was, upon what authority do you have to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews responded, the Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? And then John writes, almost parenthetically, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, 
And they believed the Scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of John is written about 60 years after the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And John says here that, that when they experienced the resurrection of Jesus, they recalled what Jesus had taught them. They remembered His prophecy on this day of Passover. He was speaking about the temple of His body. Verse 23, now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in Him. So this is looking forward three or four days. When He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in Him when, he saw, when they saw the signs that He was doing. Jesus did many miracles during that time that aren't recorded in Scripture. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people. And He needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Just, just some things that I think we can glean from this passage of Scripture we got to take it out of the context of a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago and ask ourselves, what is, what is in this for me today? It is profoundly relevant to us today and to our experience in our relationship with God. It has great application in our lives. And so our prayer is God... Reveal to us your truth in the Scripture so that I might be changed by it. One of the things I want you to see here this morning is that the theme of John hasn't changed at all. The theme is this. Jesus is God. Paul, uh, John writes, look, Many miracles and many signs did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this gospel. The ones that are recorded are there so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in believing you might have life in his name. So from John chapter 1 and verse 1 all the way through the end of chapter 2, which we're completing our study of this morning, we see that that is the theme. That Jesus is God. And we see in this short passage of Scripture, these few verses, that He kind of reiterates that again and again and again. In verse 17, when He talks about, this is My Father's house. The Jewish leaders, the, the, those who were teaching, they didn't like that at all because the very fact that He called that His Father's house was identifying himself as the Son. This relationship that existed between God the Father and God the Son is a relationship that we cannot fully understand. The, the intimacy and the, the love and the, the unity that they had in their relationship is nothing like anything we've ever experienced in our lives. If you're like me, when I first came to the realization that I was going to be a father, that I was a father when I held that little baby in my arms. My experience was this. This is a love that I've never experienced before in all of my life. Being a, a, a father is, 
it, it's a whole nother level of love. There's a whole nother capacity of love. Unlike anything we've ever experienced before. And the love between God the Father and God the Son is unlike anything that we've ever known, anything that we've ever experienced. When, when Jesus calls God His Father, He is identifying Himself as deity. When He says, zeal for my Father's house will consume me. It was, it was the kind of relationship that when He sensed in His mind that, that there was an irreverence being, being given to God the Father, He took that same irreverence upon Himself. He felt the same kind of pain that the Father would feel at those who would not have the proper reverence for who He is. He's God. And Jesus began to, to, to experience that same kind of, of pain in His own life. Referencing the temple as His Father's house, which was, which was the, the dwelling place of God to these Jewish people. There in the Holy of Holies, that's where God was. It's why they came. To be in the presence of God. And for Jesus to call that His Father's house was a, identifying the deity which He possesses, which He is. In verse 19, in response to the, the question of the Pharisees, what authority do you have to do what you have just done? Jesus' response is to foretell of His resurrection. You, you tear this down and I'll build it up in three days. What? Nobody understood what he was talking about. Those who were his disciples didn't understand. Folks, listen, we, 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 we need to be students of God's Word because I, I believe that there are times when he teaches us things that we're going to need later. That maybe he teaches us some things that we have a very difficult time understanding. But there's no accidents in his economy. He teaches you these things because he's molding you and shaping you. He teaches you these things because there's going to come a time in your life, there's going to, become, there's going to come an experience in your life where the light bulb goes on and you remember what he has taught you. This is exactly what happened to the disciples. I imagine they scratched their heads. What do you mean tear it down and I'll build it up in three days? But man, there was a time in their lives where they got it. The light bulb came on. The Bible says the result of that was they, they grew in their faith. They believed the Scriptures. The same can be said of our experience in our lives. And then I see a third way that, that we see that Jesus is God in this passage of Scripture. And, and very, very simply, Jesus says in, in verse 25, or it is said of Jesus, He Himself knew what was in man. Jesus looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Jesus could see those who said, they believed. He could see their heart. He knew why they believed. They believed because of the signs. 
They believed because of what they might be able to gain from this man. They did not believe because of who he was. You can fool man, but you cannot fool God. Jesus is God. What does that mean to you? Here's another thing we can get from this passage of Scripture. Jesus is kind of in the business of cleaning temples. He's a temple cleaner. Passover was linked to a festival that was celebrated seven days later called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a time where where every Jewish household had the responsibility of ridding their home of anything in the household that was leavened. Leaven represented uncleanliness. This was just a a way of understanding God's hatred of sin. And it was something that God had commanded the people to do once a year for seven days. They would rid their home of any leaven, any uncleanliness. This is what Jesus was doing in the temple. Ridding it of any uncleanliness. It's what He wants to do in our lives. The Bible has made it perfectly clear that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to be sure that that temple is clean. And so He involves Himself in our lives. He shines a light on those areas that He wants to clean up. He orchestrates circumstances to rid the uncleanliness in our lives. We tend to resist Him in doing this. Why do we resist Him when He seeks to cleanse the temple of our lives? I think we we become comfortable with the mess you might identify that pet sin. Maybe it's that thing that you give God everything, but you can't give Him that. And He comes in and He wants to clean that up. And we have this tendency to resist allowing Him into that area of our lives. We don't cooperate with Him. We become comfortable with that sin. We know it's sin. We know that's an area of our life that He wants to clean up. But we've learned to manage it. It's a mess, I know, but it's my mess. And I do want to get rid of it, but not today. Jesus, let's make an appointment and talk about that later. And put together a plan where we can get rid of that area. We don't want to clean it up. That's why we don't allow Him to clean it up. Here's what's happening. Just as those sellers of animals, just as those money changers, were robbing God's people, when we refuse to allow God to clean this temple, we are robbing ourselves of what God has for us. We're robbing ourselves of His best. We hold on to something that He doesn't want us to have. 
He wants to clean that out of our lives so He can replace it with the best. His best for us. And when we refuse to allow Him to take that out of our lives, we are being robbed and we're robbing ourselves of what God wants to replace that with. Of what He wants to do in our lives. How do we, how do we develop this, this zeal for the temple, the same zeal that we see Jesus had for His Father's house? I think we have to recognize that that's not your body. The Apostle Paul writes, don't you understand? You're not your own. You have been bought with a price. So use your bodies to bring glory to God the Father who indwells you. Our bodies are temples. Jesus wants them clean. Here's a third thing that I see in this passage of Scripture. These people who come to observe and celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread have taken a celebration that was meant to honor and worship God and they've turned it into something for themselves. This time was supposed to be about worship. It was supposed to be about thanksgiving. Man took it and turned it into an opportunity to make money, self-serving, and to have a party. And it angered Jesus. Righteous anger. Justifiable anger. Church, now when I say that, you're thinking of this building, <laughs> and I don't want you to. Church, you're the church. A gathering of believers, whether it's in this building, or whether it's in a home, or whether it's at the park, is to be about worship and thanksgiving. And we have this tendency to turn it into an opportunity to gratify ourselves we we become consumers we turn it into something that we demand that it meets our needs the crowds that followed Jesus during that week believed because of the miracles that he did not because he was Jesus not because he was God they didn't believe or worship because Jesus was God but because of what Jesus could do for them that's a consumer mentality. They weren't there to serve. They were there to receive. May God grow us to a place in our understanding of who He is. May God mold us and change us into people who just want to come and worship. May God change us into people who we recognize that our lives are to be lives of worship. That our lives are to be lives of, of serving, of giving. That everything that we do is not about us, it's about Him. 
That even our fellowship together, when we, when we meet together, even, even that time of fellowship is for Him. It's, a, it's an act of worship. And when we serve, it's not for us, it's, it's for Him. And when we give, it's not for us, it's, it's for Him. And when we learn and when we grow, it's not for us, it's for Him. Because we don't belong to ourselves. It's all for Him. Our lives are for Him. Jesus, in showing us His passion for the temple, is showing us that we belong to Him. That we are not to be consumers. That we are to, to come as an act of worship, giving ourselves wholly to Him. There's so much in this few verses of Scripture that are abundantly relevant to who we are today and to what our experiences of God. Jesus is God. What does that mean to you today in, in light of worship and serving and giving and fellowship and learning and growing? Jesus cleans temples. Why? Because He has a passion for the temple. Because He loves the temple. Jesus wants to be involved in your life. He wants to clean your life. And listen, He will. Whether we cooperate with Him or not, He will. Sometimes He does that by putting us on our back. And sometimes... He does that by breaking our heart. Sometimes He does that by orchestrating events in our lives that cause us to not be able to do anything but look to Him and, and call out to Him. But He cleans temples because He loves temples. <laughs> he wants to do a work in my life because He loves me. Because He desires my worship. And then we exist to worship. We exist to worship. Jesus looks upon the heart. Man looks upon the outer appearance. Jesus understands why we do what we do. We look at what we do. He looks at why we do what we do. And He wants to grow us to that place of the why in our lives. The why in our lives has everything to do with Him and not ourselves. That all that we do is an act of worship. Whether it's getting up and going to work on Monday morning, whether it's involving ourselves in other people's lives, it's all an act of worship. May God teach us through His Word. I want to kind of segue here. And church, if we were going to boil it down, there are three purposes for church. Three purposes for a gathering of believers. One is worship. Acknowledging Him for who He is. 
and expressing our worship in so many different ways. Again, fellowship and serving and giving and learning and singing and all of those are expressive. One purpose of the church is worship. Another purpose of the church is to be changed by Him. It's discipleship. It's to learn. It's to grow. It's, a, it, it's to feed that hunger of knowing Him better. Realizing that the more we know Him, the more we love Him. The more we love Him, the more we want to worship. The more we want to serve. So, worship and and discipleship, and then the third is, is evangelism, is, is telling others, is spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. It, you boil it all down, and it comes down to those three things. That's kind of why God has us here to worship and to grow and to share. So it's, it's, it behooves me, and it behooves the leadership of our church to give you opportunities to experience those three things not just within these walls but to experience worship and and growth and sharing as a lifestyle so i want to take about five minutes this morning and and share with you some opportunities that you have for these three things, and I think that these three things are, are all wrapped up into each of these opportunities. I want to ask Vic, Vic, would you show the video that we... It's been about six months ago, I think, that um, we gave you an opportunity to adopt one of our teens, and we handed out... Um, pictures of the teens and we even gave you a prayer to pray for them every day I hope that you've been faithful in doing that if you got one of these cards the reality is this is that we must as a church family invest in our youth they are our leaders for tomorrow when I say invest in them that what I mean is we we must create an environment here that allows them to grow in their relationship with the Lord, allows them to experience the reality of God's love, the reality of God's involvement in their lives. We need to equip them to share God's love with other people. We need to give them opportunities to experience God in such a way that their faith grows. Folks, here's guess what I'm saying, is that we as a church family have a responsibility to do that. That's not really an option for us. This is a, a calling that we have on our lives to, to grow up champions for Christ. And they will be who's standing on this platform not very long from now. And who will be leading us and who will be teaching and who will be serving and who will be setting the direction for our church and who will be discerning the Holy Spirit's plans for us. It, it, it's, it's, it's our youth. We know that we can open up the Bible and we can um, teach them the truth of God's Word and those truths have power to change, but we also know that we can give them opportunities to go out and experience God and to watch Him work. One of the ways that we do that is through missions trips, and we have some 28 
people going to Detroit in March next month. We need to help them. And we've had several different kinds of fundraisers to uh, help them with the cost. These teenagers are working hard on their own, raising the money and sending letters, and they've, maybe they've talked to you already about this opportunity. But the time is growing short, and, and the need is great. What our leadership has determined that we would do in regard to this is that two weeks from today, on March the 8th, we're going to take a special offering. This will be a special offering that is designed to invest in our kids, kids who have already made a commitment to give up their spring break and travel to Detroit and to be used by God in the lives of people there. I'm excited about how they will serve. I'm excited about the people that they will minister to, but I'm more excited about what their experience will be and how they will grow as a result of that experience. Would you prayerfully consider your participation in this special offering that we'll take two weeks from today? It's a responsibility that we have. Now, we've been talking for months now about making God famous in our community, reaching and impacting our community for Christ. As a result of some very tragic events that have taken place in this past year, Avalon Park Foundation has determined that they were going to have an event. I believe the name of the event is Avalon Cares. It's going to be a, a fair-like event. It's on Saturday, March the 7th, a week from this Saturday. It's going to be in the park where the amphitheater is. Now, to be quite honest with you, we should have been the ones that came up with the idea to have this kind of event. But they did, and they've invited us to be a part of it. This is an event whereby we say to the people in this community, we are a resource for you. If you're hurting, if you're lonely, if you're confused, if you're afraid, if you have questions that you are searching for answers, we want to be a part of that experience with you. I don't know if the community is going to come out to this thing or not. But if they do, we should be there. And so on March the 7th, we're going to have two or three tents. We're going to offer resources. We're going to be there to pray with people, be there to encourage people, be there to point people in a, a direction. A, maybe it's a direction of counseling. Maybe it's a a, a direction of a support group, whatever it is. We're going to be there, and we'd like for you to be a part of that. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby this morning saying, yeah, I'll be a part of that. It's from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock on March the 7th, Saturday. Avalon Park is doing all they can to invite the community to come out. They're having things that will draw the community to come out, but the whole idea has been made very, very clear that we have a lot of hurting people in our community and there are resources for that. Well, I want them to know Avalon Church certainly is a resource to help them. I hope that you'll consider doing that. If you're a life group leader and you're sitting in the auditorium this morning, we would love for life groups to drive this. We would love for life groups to, to man our tents, you know, take a half an hour or an hour and uh, sign up for a time that you can be a part of that. 
Here's another way to be involved. Here's another way to worship. Here's another way to serve. Um, Cornerstone Pregnancy Centers having their annual fundraiser that's called Walk for Life. It's going to be in Blanchard Park. It's on Saturday, March the 14th. There's information about that. There's sign-ups about that. Here's another way for you to serve. We're going to work very, very hard to uh, have a choir ministry in our church. Um, we have identified someone who has graciously stepped up and said, I'll serve that way. He's not a part of our church. His name is Paul Pelton. He is a professional in every sense of the word, uh, a close friend of Pastor Jim's, and he is going to be in the lobby this morning. Anybody who has an interest in serving the Lord through using your voice and singing, I hope that you'll, you'll talk to Paul and ask him questions and kind of get his vision for, for uh, what he wants this ministry to be about. Here's another opportunity. Six weeks from today is Easter. Now look, I've been praying for a couple of months about April the 5th, Easter. We're going to have three services, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. I said, Lord, it, I, I, I want to ask you, if you would, to draw people. I, I, I would like for us to fill every seat in all three services. Every empty seat in any of those services will be a soul, <laughs> will represent a soul that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that needs to be loved. I want to ask you to do two things. Plan on serving on that day. We've asked you in the past to come to the first service and worship and celebrate the meaning of Easter, the resurrection of our Savior. He lives today to stay and, and serve those who will be coming to hear the gospel, many for the first time. I'm going to be preaching on John 3, 16 and 17. You're probably not familiar with that passage. You can look it up this afternoon. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As clear as, as I can with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a gospel presentation. Come and serve and invite others to come. Those are the two things I would ask you to do in regard to Easter. There are people waiting for you to ask them. Remember that you don't have to manufacture opportunities. The Holy Spirit goes before you. He begins to do work in people's lives and then He presents you with an opportunity and when we're obedient... That's what I'm asking you to do, if you would. Be praying about our Easter services on April the 5th. I, uh, I, I think that we'll have 2,000 people. We've never had 2,000 people on Easter. We've had 1,600, 1,700. Um, but I believe that if we say, you know what, I'm going to be intentional about this. I'm going to invite. I'm going to serve. We'll make this a special day. Not because I have to, because it's my act of worship. It's how I worship. It's not about me, it's about Him. My commercial this morning is on purpose. It's a part of this passage of Scripture that we study in the Gospel of John. It has everything to do with what Jesus is trying to teach us through this passage of Scripture. I pray that you'll open up your hearts and hear His voice 
receive for him receive from him i want to invite you to stand everybody standing i tell you um usually at the end of every service we got a lot to do god's called us he's given us a big mission but he's also equipped us he's also empowered us he also gives us guidance and direction he also orchestrates opportunities for us jesus is god jesus cleans temples jesus looks at the heart what does that mean to you today and how he has called you how will you worship him understanding that lord jesus you're either real or you're not either god or no god my experience with you lord has been radical you have changed my life there's not one iota of doubt that you are god i give you myself wholly lord i pray for every individual in this room as you have a calling on their life i pray that you would open up their eyes to see you their hearts to receive from you i pray that you would give them boldness to follow you give them vision lord to how you might want to use them helping to experience you even now and what you will do in the days ahead. I believe you for that. I trust you for that. We'll give you glory for that. You spend some time with the Lord as we worship together.